The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you, to have you come under my roof. Therefore I do not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who have been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, may be seated. There are a multitude of ways to express faith in God. So many. But two have always stood out to me because I think they juxtapose one another. There's superstition and desperation. Now, many of you know, and it wouldn't be the first time I preached on his work, that I am a fan of the author Stephen King. His book, Salem's Lot, is one of my favorites. Now, in Salem's Lot, the name of a town in Maine... It's not about a church in Baltimore. A village is haunted by mythical creatures. And to stop them, the local priest decides to cover the house they're dwelling in with all sorts of religious paraphernalia. Multiple crosses, some consecrated communion hosts, things like that. These items are supposed to work at warding off evil. Until the priest comes in contact with one of the creatures, and he holds up a cross... But in that moment, he loses all of his faith because he's so scared of the creature in front of him. And the creature, before destroying him, aptly notes that the symbols and artifacts that he holds so dear only work if he has faith. Otherwise, all he's doing is holding up a wooden tee. And I love this scene for a variety of reasons, not the least of which that it is a critique of our own superstition. I've always been struck with the superstition surrounding communion. In years past, people would actually take communion elements to their houses to give to their pets so that their pets would be saved. There are those who believe that the statues of the Virgin Mary weep and that baptismal waters have magic healing powers. Now, I don't mean to tear down any superstitions that you may have, but when you are baptized into Christ Jesus, you are baptized into his death. And we just observed Good Friday about two months ago, so I don't think I need to recount for you how said death happened, but needless to say, it was not pleasant. And when you partake of communion, you're partaking in the final meal of a man condemned to die. 
I don't mean to degrade the awesomeness of the mystery because we are linked to the person of Jesus in baptism and he is with us in communion. But I think the power of what Jesus has done for us is more important than the superstition. You know, the other pole of faith there is desperation. People who are at the end of the, their proverbial rope often exhibit a desperate sort of faith. Many times it manifests itself as bargaining with God. A pastor, not me, was visiting a hospital, uh, visiting a parishioner they had there. A close friend of this parishioner's was near death. And the parishioner admitted to the pastor that if they had just acted better or done something different or been a better Christian, then their friend wouldn't be in such dire circumstances. To which the pastor, because we are, of course, always helpful and know the right words to say, uh, replied, I don't believe in a God like that. And in an instant, the pastor realized her mistake. This person who was grieving needed some shred of faith to cling to, even if their view of the universe was skewed, because they were going through the crucible of grief, and they had to know that God was there. Especially a God who would do such a thing. Because to them, it proved that God did care. I too do not believe in a God like that, but I find a sense of purity in such a desperate faith. There are no atheists in foxholes. We all need to cling to something. It would be easy to say that the Roman centurion in the gospel today is superstitious. And I got to tell you, when I first read this passage from an academic point of view, that's what I thought he was doing when he asked Jesus to heal his slave. After all, the centurion is definitely not Jewish, and even though he helps Jewish people, he is still an enemy of the Jews. I mean, can you imagine an American military commander going up to a Muslim imam in occupied Iraq and asking them to heal a lesser-ranked soldier? I originally thought that the centurion had exhausted all of his options and decided, I've heard of this Jesus guy, I think he's a healer, so what the heck? Tried everything else, and maybe that'll work. But instead, if you consider the social norms of the time, the faithful Roman centurion is indeed a desperate man. By any standard, Jesus is the last person that he should be going to. I've read a lot of history books this year, especially on the military, and one constant theme about occupation. No matter what you do, or how well-intentioned you are, any occupying military force is going to see the people in that territory as an enemy. The Romans had a tendency to go into foreign lands and make peace as long as those foreign lands paid taxes to them. They would then install puppet kings like Herod and governors like Pontius Pilate to keep the peace, thus giving the occupied territory an illusion of safety. But make no mistake, despite his apparent friendliness towards the Jews, if this man felt like killing Jesus on sight, he'd have the power and the authority to do so. And that is what makes his faith so remarkable. Because he has become that desperate. He might not be Jewish, but this centurion knows how authority works. Because of Roman structure, he has the authority to act on behalf of Rome. 
But out of this desperation, a faith born out of care and concern for a life that is not his own, he makes an appeal to this man called Jesus. And furthermore, and this is the most remarkable aspect, almost more remarkable than the slave being healed, this man submits to Jesus' authority. This centurion has the faith to recognize that Jesus can heal with words, because the centurion himself is used to having his orders carried out with words. Rome may rule a secular kingdom, but this man is so faithful that he actually recognizes Jesus by the title Lord because he believes. And thus Jesus declares that he has not seen a faith greater in Israel than this man, this Gentile, this Roman who has the authority to kill him. A faith born out of desperation wows the Son of God. Imagine, just for a moment, if we lived day to day with that faith. Not just in moments of bargaining for our lives or the lives of others, but if we truly cast our trophies aside, all that gives us power and authority, and we placed ourselves under Jesus, what kind of faith that man, who is the least likely to believe, had, how would we live? If we were to truly say that while living in America is good, I identify first and foremost as a baptized child of God. I don't know that our day-to-day -day lives would be much different. All the characters in the story we read today eventually die. Death is a part of life no matter how we worship God. But I know that by surrendering the desire we have to control everything, to trust in God's authority, we lift from ourselves an enormous burden. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ makes this possible. Our faith is expressed in many and various ways, but we do not have to be desperate when we have nothing to be desperate for, because God is there for us always. That's what our baptism is really about. It's not about superstition, and it's not about getting into heaven. It's about being claimed by a new authority as God's child. Life is going to be hard, and God knows that. Baptism reminds us that God is there with us every step of the way. It removes the desperate struggle of the old creature and replaces it with a lifted burden of sin. So that when we face the crucible of life, we have the faith to confess Jesus as Lord. And this is not something we earn, but something that God gives to us by God's authority through the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you, as you go home this weekend to your barbecues, your families, the joys of life and the woes of it, let your burden be lifted. The authority of Jesus has freed you from your sins. When you are happy, Jesus is there. When you struggle, Jesus is there. In life, death, and new life, Jesus is there for us always. Let us live with the faith to see him. Amen.